0: Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, uh, of course, joined by Joseph Valtellini. Uh, big news for you this week. So you got phase three. So businesses are allowed to yeah. open, I think, as of today, which means your gym is allowed to open. And Glory announced two events. So this is a good week for Joe
1: I know. Finally, it's been five months of stressing out, but uh, there's some positivity. I mean, after all of that, I'm just... Number one, I'm most excited that Bazooka Kickboxing is opening. I mean, I have all my members waiting, my fighters, my athletes. And like We're just so excited to get back. It's it's our daily routine, and that was stripped from us for five months. So we're back and ready to go. And again, Glory's back. We've got back-to-back events in October, October 2nd and 3rd. Um, I don't know how it's going to work still. I know it's uh, only 200 people audience. Um, I don't know how the testing, the flying, the procedures, but – just to hear that it's back, I'm pumped. So we're back
0: for sure. There was some vague I'm language alive. in the uh, in the press release uh, about the new ownership and like no a, a group based in the UK. They don't disclose who it is, but yeah, no. I mean, I think this will all come out uh, over time.
1: Well, I'm just happy that uh, we're back. I mean, it's been you got to think of all my friends and colleagues and the people who I've basically traveled with and lived with um, on the road for ten years. We're you know dependent on the company all the fighters are, are waiting to get back in there there's not as many big organizations looking for fighters so f- these fighters need to be active so i need to see you know my friends and co-workers i get back to work so Absolutely. it's positive in that, that way.
0: and the same with your gym of course you want to make sure that everybody is uh is okay in that regard
1: yeah and we've we've done everything in this past five months to make sure we have Uh, above and beyond the safety precautions and protocols and um, cleanup stations and new uh, gear and so everything's ready to go so we're we we came out of it upgraded which is uh, kind of made me feel good
0: yeah for sure well that's good to hear Uh, so what kind of things do you need to do in terms of uh, health and safety at a gym like what 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 kind of
1: guidelines have they given you Well, I mean, it's a a gym community first was at my gym. A lot of people came in outside of structured class time. They'd want to come hit some weights, just do some bag work or do class and then stay and do some extra work. So there's no free time. You have to come for specific classes. Uh, Currently, we kind of have to max uh, how many people were allowed in. In our space, we have a big space. So, um and in phase three we're allowed we could probably fit around twenty to twenty five people, everyone having their own bag and little square. Um, so you have to schedule your classes, you can't stay around, you have to do like a health questionnaires when you come in, get your temperature checked and literally classes, you do your class in one door, out the other, then the next group comes in. So it's going to be different, I think, it's especially in a martial arts environment, we're used to being touchy people. Uh, we grapple, we clinch and to, to keep it, uh, our distance is going to be a challenge, but you know, anything we got to do to, to do what we love is what we got to do. So. Um, I think it's just going to be a new learning experience. It's like everywhere. It's like now when we go to restaurants, things are different. When we go to the grocery store, things are different. I think that's just the reality of what gyms are going to be.
0: Absolutely. Well, we had uh, the last fight in Fight Island last weekend. It seems like an eternity ago. We were just discussing uh, that, yeah. that earlier in the show. But uh, we had Robert Whitaker beating Darren Till. Uh, I, I had the score the same as all the other judges. I had it
1: 48-47 for Whitaker. Is that how you saw it? Saw it? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little off on of my memory on which rounds were rich, but at the end of it, I had no doubt Whitaker won that fight. In my mind, he did enough. Um, he, he just he, he was the better fighter that night for sure. It was I don't think it was as close as people are making it seem in my eyes, but uh, I thought it was a clean fight. I just I thought after Whitaker almost got dropped early, the adjustments were made. Both were a little bit more patient and hesitant. I expected a little bit more action, to be honest, but. Uh, I think uh, it was still a clean fight and a, a good win for Whitaker.
0: Well, I had mentioned that um, the um, the rounds, basically, I thought that Till, you had to give round one, two, because he dropped uh, Whitaker. Yeah. And then I said, you basically have to give Whitaker two and three because Till was basically inactive in those rounds. He barely had any output. And then I said, however you score four and five, I'm fine with. So if somebody yeah. would have given a 48-47 to Till and they broke it down that way, I'd be understanding of that. I just personally didn't didn't have it like that. Um, yeah. And it seemed like even the the judges had some of the rounds were kind of all over the place. But I thought that Whitaker was the rightful winner, and um, you know, kudos to him. I think that he's a phenomenal fighter. And uh, the, the only thing that I, I mentioned this afterwards on SportsCenter when I was asked about it, I said the big problem with a fight like that for for Whitaker is that he's in a lose lose situation because you're you're basically in a chess match with Darren yeah. Till. You're expected to beat Darren Till, um, but you don't do it in exciting fashion, and now the division just keeps moving. And you're, you may not be part of those plans, right? So as a result of like him not getting an exciting finish, and it's not his fault, that's the kind of fight you're getting into with Darren Till, it, it seemed like Till ended up getting more of the shine after the fight than he did, because Till performed well against the former champion. Israel afterwards is on Twitter saying, Oh, one day I'm going to fight Darren Till, Whitaker's not even mentioned. So, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that's kind of the, the bummer of it for Robert Whitaker. Is like, if you don't get a, a stoppage in a fight like that, you end up losing some some ground in terms of trying to get your title back. Because once Paulo Costa and Israel fight, like I, I feel like everybody's going to have forgotten about that, that win over Till. And yeah. I, I feel like Whitaker is kind of going to be the odd man out.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think what I'm hearing a lot of people saying, I think even Dana White came out and said, uh, I think they're thinking of Whitaker versus Candonier as a potential number one contender.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a logical next step. Um, so we'll we'll see if that's what they end up doing. But I think that uh, that's what's going to be um, potentially the plan. I, you know, I I just don't know. I mean, you've you've got Jack Hermanson also in the mix, right? Like he just had a big win over Gastelum early in the first round, right? Like it, you can't overlook that, even though he's lost to Cannoneer. So one of those three guys is going to be the odd man out. And I don't think they're going to do a Herm- uh, Hermanson versus cannoneer. Rematch. I think is out for the rest of the year because he had that really bad injury. I think it was like a torn pec. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the division unfolds. But we've got uh, Costa and uh, Israel booked for September. So we're going to have our answers pretty soon. I mean, September is kind of around the corner.
1: Yeah, it, but it's kind of nice to hear some talk in the middleweight division. It was kind of flat there for a little bit. We really didn't have much attention. We saw a lot of the names, like the Rockholds, the Widemans, get out of the division. So it seems like there's some life back in it. There's some excitement. Adesanya's having potential contenders. So I just think there's a little bit of life in the division, which is nice.
0: And Weidman's getting back into the mix uh, next, uh, next week when he faces, G- uh, not Gadji Murav Antigulov, Omari Ahmedov. He's going I, say, I don't him. know
1: how you're going to remember. I was just yeah. going to say one of those Russian fighters.
0: Yeah, Omari uh, Akhmedov in the, uh, yeah. the middleweight division. I looked at Akhmedov's record recently. I was like, this guy hasn't lost in four years. And he's been doing it very quietly. So good on him. It's and, scary, uh, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's, uh, he's a good-looking uh, fighter. And, uh, and Weidman, I think this is going to be the lowest level of competition that he's fought in some time. So that's going to be um, an advantage for him. So uh, I'm interested to see how Weidman looks because this is the perfect fight for him to get some ground back in terms of his career, but if he loses this one, I just, I don't see anything else for him to do in this sport.
1: And he, his last fight was 205, right? And now he's coming back to the middleweight.
0: Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, he lost at 205, and I think it was in the first round to Dominic Reyes. He got
1: yeah, he got knocked out. I believe, yeah, right.
0: Yeah. yeah, so he's had some time off since then. Obviously, we've seen what Dominic Reyes has done since then. But uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see what Chris Weidman brings to the table next week. I'm I'm interested in that for sure. And, uh, you know, I've always liked Chris Weidman. I've always thought he was... was, uh, He's kind of underrated in terms of um, what he did in terms of beating Anderson Silva twice in a row. You know, thinking about how good Anderson Silva was back then, I think Silva was favored in both of those fights. So, uh, you know, I I thought he was going to be the champion for much longer than he was. But I guess we can transition to this topic. You know, he had that fight with Luke Rockhold that a lot of people thought went on for too long, that Herb Dean allowed to go on for too long. And now we've got this whole situation... Going back to Herb from this past week where there were two fights. Uh, There was a fight between uh, Canadian Tanner Bozer and uh, Rafael Pessoa. And then there was the Trinaldo versus Jay Herbert fight where a lot of people thought uh, that Herb let them go on too long. And he got into a bit of a verbal altercation with Dan hardy Cage side uh, after the Trinaldo-Jay Herbert fight. And did you hear Herb Dean's explanation afterwards, like the video that he recorded?
1: Um, I heard a journalist talk about it, but I'd like to hear it from your perspective.
0: Well, so this is the part that I think is crazy about it is he, he records an Instagram video and he says that, you know, Dan Hardy has no place or does anybody else that's not in the commission or in a corner to yell out, stop the fight while a fight's going on, especially in a quiet atmosphere like that, because that's what will prompt the referee to stop the fight and that. Um, he wouldn't name Dan Hardy by name. He goes, the person that cage side who who yelled stop the fight, you know that he should get in trouble for that basically because that can sway what a referee does. I and mean, he he basically said he would have let the fight go on longer if Hardy didn't yell out stop the fight. So Hardy has to be able huh. to sleep pretty well at night knowing that he actually did get Herb Dean to stop the fight a little bit late rather than way too late because if if that's what it took to stop that fight was him yelling stop the fight. I would have yelled stop yeah. the fight cage side because that that fight should have been stopped. And I, Herb yeah. kind of explained the signs that Jay Herbert was giving him that he was still in it. And another thing that Herb Dean said in this video is he goes, our job is to make is, is that once a fighter takes too much damage, we stop the fight. It's like, no, no, no. Your job is to make sure that a fighter doesn't take too much damage.
1: Doesn't take. Exactly. Doesn't take too much
0: damage because if a fighter takes yeah. too much damage. You're not doing your job. If you're trying to protect the fighter, too much damage is the wrong answer. So I don't know if that was a slip up by him. But that's not a good look. And to be honest, like Dan Hardy, when he is, uh, you know, doing uh, the job as being a broadcaster, he is emotionally attached to the fighters because he ha- he's, yeah. he was a fighter. You've been in those shoes. Any analyst in the sport has been in those shoes before. And you can't help but worry about the safety of your fellow fighter. And, and yep. apparently, you know, I, I had thought that he had a, a strong relationship with Jay Herbert, that, like, the reason why he got so upset is because Jay Herbert was, like, a friend of his or colleague. And he said that he barely knows Jay Herbert. He, like, knows him through, you know, him being in part of, like, English MMA, but he doesn't yeah. know Jay... Like, he doesn't have a close relationship with Jay Herbert. He just thought that, at that time, Herb Dean should have stopped the fight uh, and that he let it go on for too long. And I I just don't see... Like, Have you seen anybody disagree with that idea, the notion that it went on too long, aside from Herb Dean himself?
1: No, I don't know. Like, I, I just want to keep reiterating that the fighter's not going to give up. The coaches don't want to give it up. And, I mean, i it, it's frustrating to hear all the time that, you know, it's a difficult job. We always say the referees got the most difficult job. But, I mean, that's their only job. and And our safety requires, like, them to be on. So, I mean, it's very frustrating to see it knowing now what we know about head trauma. Like, it actually, like, really frustrates me. So, it's almost really nice to see someone like Dan Hardy, you know, really get emotional and pissed off. Like, you're talking about young kids who have a, a small window to compete in and to make a future. And, and and one shot like that, that may have taken a couple fights off his career. That may have damaged him enough not to even come back. He might have, you know, bad symptoms coming off of those extra shots. So, I mean, it's really frustrating. He's a young kid. He was talented. So, that's what kind of frustrated me a little bit, knowing how young. It was his debut as well, Herbert, as well. And he looked phenomenal. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, that's, that's what I think. There. Yeah, and that's what kind of touched me the most about it, just knowing how young he was to take those extra shots because that's a talented kid That's you know, like that we're seeing, you know, his career shorten under our eyes like that. So that that's what frustrates me the most. So, like, I think it's great the way Dan Hardy's stepping up. It's like we're in this together. Like, we want everyone to come out safe and healthy. And, you know, I always used to say, like, I used to hate my opponents so much. But at the end of the day, as long as they can compete again – it would make us feel good. You know, those are some of like when those who pray, you know, before fights, a lot of times that's what they're wishing for. You know, that both fighters come out safely so we can continue to do what we do. And fights like that need to be stopped. I mean, I understand the complaints people get in world title fights. That's a little different. There's more on the line, more risk. But this is a debut kit against like a veteran, too. You know, a a, a a Trinaldo who's probably one fight away or a couple fights off of a, an end of a career, so it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, I, you know, at first I thought Dan was being a little bit unprofessional, but then when I thought about it a little bit more, like he he is getting emotional. He probably shouldn't be yelling, and he definitely shouldn't be yelling at, at Herb Dean cage side. Uh, yeah. Like there were a couple things that he probably could have done better. But then for Herb to come out and, and basically give a non-apology and say that, you know, it's Dan Hardy's fault that the fight was stopped when it was stopped. I mean, it ended up making him look terrible because it's good that the fight was stopped when it stopped. Like,
1: it should have been yeah, stopped earlier yeah, than that. Exactly. Right? So, exactly.
0: yeah, that was the thing about it that stood out. Um, one other thing that I mentioned on social media that a lot of people disagreed with, um, and I, I'd like to have a, a bit of a longer form platform to explain myself, such yeah. as this, is that I said that I thought Kazmat Shemaev should be ranked this week in the 170-pound uh, the division. And a lot of people said, well, he beat a, a, a newcomer to the UFC, Reese McKee, who's normally a lightweight, and he beat John Phillips, um, who's not like nowhere near being ranked. Uh, um, so they said, you know, ranking Shemaev is way too early. And I, I, I completely see where those people are coming from. The problem is that these rankings have created a nightmare behind the scenes for a lot of these fighters, like this guy, like Chazma Shemaev, and like... Kamaru Uzman in years prior and other fighters that should be getting tough opponents, but can't because nobody wants to fight them. Like if you, if you look, in fact, uh, somebody from a sports book confirmed this, you know, people said, who would you rank Shemayev above in the welterweight division? I said, I'd rank him above Nate Diaz. I'd rank him above Anthony Pettis and I'd rank him above Neil Magny. Hmm. Um, and then I had mentioned those names and somebody who runs a sports book said, Chamaev would be at least a two to one favorite over all three of those guys. So, if that's the perception around this guy, is that he's better than three people that are ranked, again, it's perception. It doesn't mean he is. It doesn't yeah, mean he beat yeah. all three of those guys. But if the perception is that he's better than those guys, I think you need to consider ranking these guys so that they can get tougher fights. Now, I, people are saying, well, you don't want to throw these prospects right into the fires. You know, he's, he's young, he should have time to develop. I get that. But Reese McKee is a UFC caliber fighter. John Phillips has four UFC fights now. Like, these aren't... Like, th- this isn't regional scene squash fights. This guy's... this Shemaev is new to the UFC. And he obliterated two guys that are UFC caliber, that are in the UFC. Reese McKee, I know he wasn't in the UFC a, a week ago today. But... Or whatever, two weeks ago. But... Like, these Reese McKee, if you've seen him fight, he's a talented fighter. So if he's going to beat people in that lopsided of fashion... We need to assess his talent as being an uber talent. Like, do you think if you would have put Reese McKee against Pettis, Magny, Nate Diaz, those guys will beat Reese McKee, but they won't beat him like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also think it's the style he brings, right? It's more of that controlled wrestling phase, which is is great. But uh, no, I think you make a valid point. Uh, I don't necessarily... I I think... I personally think we need to pump the brakes on him. I think he's great. I think he's good. But I think the brakes need to be pumped on him a little bit. But I think with your explanation, I think it's easy to put him against those guys when I look at it. Like, well, I think he, even someone like problem, Neil Magny would be a great fight or any of those guys. That let him fight for that spot. Yeah. And I mean, well, I think experience has to play a factor. I mean, some of these guys had 10, 20 UFC fights. To, and we can base their skill over 20 fights. But, the but problem, no, I agree with you. Yeah, I'll I, tell you I what the big problem is, though, you. Joe.
0: The problem is, people that have a number next to their name will not risk that number against Shemaev. So if you call them on the phone and you say, hey, we want you to fight Hamza Shemaev, they're going to say no. Why would they fight him? Yeah. Like, if, yeah. if, you, if you're Rafael dos Anjos, or you're, like, Rafael dos Anjos is, what, one in four in his last five. And he's, he's yeah, ranked.
1: why fight him?
0: And if you're Robbie Lawler, you're one in four in your last five. And he's ranked. Yeah. And they say, well, we want you to fight Shemaev, their thought is going to be like, so you want me to be one in five in my next, like, this is my rebound fight? This is my fight that's going to reestablish me in the division? You're basically trying to, you, you know, you're trying to put a young guy in front of me to take, take my ranking. It's like, I, they're not going to sign that contract. And then if you're a guy who's on the cusp of the welterweight division, on the cusp of, of being ranked, and uh, they call you and they say, hey, we want you to fight Shemaev. They're going to be like there's no chance I'm fighting this guy. Like if you're if you're Nico Price or something, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a fighter who is close to being ranked at welterweight. And they call you and they say we want you to fight this guy. Do you think not only will they say no, but do you think their manager is going to be like, yeah, this is a smart idea. You should take this fight. No, well, no I chance. mean, money,
1: money talks in, in this day and age, so maybe I don't know. I'm looking at the the top 15 now, but it maybe you force him to fight like a Michael Chiesa, Damian Maia, Put like just throw him to the fire if those guys aren't really in a position that they're gonna be in the top ranks probably anytime soon so maybe someone some, one of those two names just throw him in there he's he's confident in his speech he says he'll fight anybody so I'd say just throw him in see what he's got
0: brother I'll fight anybody in any division brother
1: smash him I'll smash, smash him. him
0: I'll be smash a three division him. champion you gotta love that though you gotta this I like guy, love. this this guy has. He went from having 200 followers on Twitter to having 40,000 in like the span of 3 weeks. Like this guy has imprinted himself on on the fan base.
1: Yeah, my fighter side t- is still telling me tell him to pump his brakes. I, like I mean, I mean from what we saw I thought it was impressive. I thought it was great, but like as uh, the fighter in me, I'm, I I want to see him earn his stripes. If you're going to come out with big talk and you're the future champ, let me see it. Let me see it climb the ranks. Too good start, but show me, you know, someone in the top ranks before I get impressed.
0: Yeah, but the problem what? is nobody in the top rank are going to sign to fight this guy. That's what happened with Usman. Usman was destroying guys, and then he couldn't get a fight because if, you, if you're ranked, you're going to be like, well, I'm not going to risk my ranking against this guy. Look how good he is. Well, and I think you, Dana's, you, Dana's
1: really high on him, so a lot of fighters might be, like, forced to want to fight him. If Dana's so high on him,
0: Yeah, but they, if they if They're going to have to think they're going to beat this guy. Like, did you hear what Whitaker said after the fight? So what do you say? He's at the press conference, and th- this guy from Russia, one of the reporters, is like, uh, "Would you want to fight Hamza Shemaev and, and and Whitaker said, "Well, because Shemaev's first fight was at middleweight," and Whitaker goes, um, "He goes, see, that guy's a welterweight," and goes, the guy goes, "Yeah, but he just fought at middleweight. He wants to be a two division champion," and, and Whitaker goes, "He's a welterweight, and I hope he stays there." <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Because these guys aren't aren't going to want to fight him. And, and Whitaker was joking, I'm sure, like it's in jest. But it's it's sort there is truth
1: to that. Yeah, and and the thing is too, I I actually spoke to um, Tariq, who obviously fought for Brave, and uh, my main guy, Troy Sheridan. They went to obviously corner Tariq in I believe it was Abu Dhabi, and uh, Shamaev was the big guy they kept talking about. He's the superstar. He actually fought on that card, and they apparently were announcing him as a striker. Apparently, his striking's pretty sharp too. And, I mean, I just don't think we saw it, but apparently Brave was promoting him as this uh, fantastic striker, So, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, for sure, it's definitely interesting. I mean, that's, that's what I think uh, is, is going to be what he needs to prove, is that, he can, that he's not just a one-dimensional wrestler. But, I mean, if you look at the way that he's passing guard, he's getting into mount, he's, he's throwing crazy volume, like, there's something to this guy
1: yeah no I agree but now are the two guys he fought you'll know better than me are they more striking based guys I believe the guy seem like a striker right Phil-
0: yeah Phillips is not, I don't know as much about Reese McKee as I'm sure a lot of others do so I won't speak yeah. on him but John Phillips is known for his power striking
1: okay so I mean his let's nickname see used to be the white a Mike Tyson. Bit better wrestling we'll, we'll see like I mean I need to see more he's sparked my attention I'll call it that he sparked my attention.
0: Well, one thing I'm sure that put a smile on your face was Jesse Ronson returning to uh, the UFC yeah. in spectacular fashion against Nicholas Davy. Yeah.
1: yeah, I oh I actually screamed at one point. That was pretty cool. Like I mean, it was just nice to see um, Ronson. Man, he's a he's a Canadian MMA OG now. Like he's literally got thrown into the wolves uh, in the UFC. Went what 0 and three against all BJJ monsters, and he's known for a striker. Then he comes back, wins multiple titles on. Uh, all the Canadian scenes becomes double champions. And now he's on a a mindset of destruction and just hearing him talk and in interviews now, like he's got this confidence in him that I think is going to take him far. I think he's going to do good. And everyone I know who's, you know, really been by his side for many years says, you know, his wrestling, his wrestling has improved so much. Um, you know, his striking is there and I, I think his striking can obviously be a little bit better. And, uh, We've mentioned back and forth talking and then hopefully getting some training and in the near future, because I think a little bit of addition to his striking and, you know, his I just love that he fought someone in a weight class above and still decided to sit there in the pocket and counter strike. That shows to me that that's someone who could really, you know, fight well, fight hard and kind of use a good style of bazooka fighting. So I hope it works out.
0: Uh, he did everything right. He comes in short notice, beats a really tough guy in Nicholas Dalby, finishes him in the first round, submits yeah, him even though he's no more first. Yeah, weight class up, and then and then afterwards when they ask him who he wants to fight next, he says I want to fight tall guys in the lightweight division, guys that are too yeah. big for the division, that should be up a yeah. division. Like he had something in mind, which is what you want to do if you're if you're going to um, do well in the UFC it's always good to have someone's name on the tip of your tongue or, or have some sort of angle of to take after the fight. And he had that, and uh, it just couldn't have gone better for him. Six years away from the UFC, comes back, and uh, and wins like that. It's, it just doesn't get much better.
1: I just was most excited that they gave him the 50K bonus, which
0: oh, I thought, change, you, know, you got to think. He told me it changed his life. He said, like, there's just for no sure. way
1: around it. It, just, it changed his life. I mean, that's what you, you dream for is that big bonus, too. I mean, everything just went his way, so... I mean, let's hope now he, you know, really puts his mind to it. Because you got to think, he's got a nice little streak. I can see the UFC, if he puts together a few strong wins, I mean, the UFC could push him really, really fast. Because he's someone who's got a lot of experience. He's a little bit older now. I mean, he probably wants to get his best fights out of him in the next couple of years.
0: Well, we're 24 minutes into the show, and I haven't promoted our guests yet. We have Tanner Bowser on the show, and we'll get to him in a second. Hey. And we've also got... Uh, Edmund Shabazian and uh, Joanne Calderwood. So those are our guests for this week. But uh, going back to Bozer, uh, wow, this guy's had quite a month.
1: That's it, I, unbelievable. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I sw- like when he's fighting. It's almost like he knows my footwork system. Like he's on. Like he knows the way I would step, the way I would have controlled him. Like if I was cornering my fighter and I had my joystick, like I call joystick in my fighters, like. Tanner Bowser would be so easy for me to joystick. It's perfect. His stance switching, the way he chops the outside legs, the way he fights in open stance, his movement, the way he controls distance. Like, I'm telling you, Tanner Boser either watches my videos or his coaches know me or in the past life, I don't know, but Tanner <laughs> Boser, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm he's on the Bozer train. He's
0: you reincarnated into a heavyweight even though you're still with, with us? a heavyweight
1: and a mullet. And a mullet, <laughs> Yeah. What kind, well, of,
0: there. what kind of music do you think Tanner Bozier listens to?
1: Ideally, I'm telling I, – I have a feeling it's going to be hip-hop, but I'm going to say um, some country. I think it's a country boy.
0: Well, you're going to find out later on in the uh, in this uh, interview. So, uh, yeah, yeah, so you'll have to listen. You'll have to listen to the interviews. Do you ever listen to the interviews I do, or do you
1: just come no, on I don't, with me? No, I don't like, I just come on with you. I don't like listening to myself. That's the problem. Oh, I don't really watch or listen to other my stuff. Yeah, but then I hear myself as I'm fast-forwarding. Fine, I'll listen back to Bozer because I'm on the Bozer train right now. Okay, or you can just, it's on YouTube. You can just look it
0: up on YouTube if you want, if you don't want to hear your own voice.
1: Okay, I'll do both. Okay, I'll support the channel in both. (laughs) Okay, well, please do. But yes, Tanner Bozer, I'm I'm on the Bozer train. I like it.
0: So uh, that's about it. I mean, uh, Fabricio Verdum had a a pretty surprising win over uh, Alexander Gustafsson, although it shouldn't be surprising given how good Verdum is. Um, And now he's a free agent.
1: Well, I was surprised by that, to be honest. I was uh, I was almost confident for a Gustafsson finish. Well,
0: yeah. the thing is, Verdum looked terrible in his last fight. And then as soon as he entered the cage for this one, I tweeted out, he looks way better than he looked last time, just in terms of his body shape. He looked like the old Verdum. And then he came out fighting like the old Verdum. And, I mean, he needed that badly.
1: Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think... I mean, it seems like it's the end of his career, but I just love to see how close the Brazilian team was down there. And I saw them especially being in Fight Island. Um, And then just afterwards, the Brazilians are such a good community in the fight world, just to see them together. And I saw uh, Rafael Cordero after speaking about Verdum and their career and their time together, and they're crying, they're emotional. It's just they really created a, a really cool bond to see. So it's just nice to see a man have a, a great career with his team and be loyal like that. So it's
0: great. And have you heard about the newest prodigy that's uh, training under Rafael Cordero?
1: I do have not. Who's that?
0: His name's Mike Tyson. He's a 55-year-old who used to oh, that, be a that. pretty well-known boxer. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty it. exciting. Yeah, so yeah. He's, he's training under Cordero for his, uh, his uh, Let boxing me hear your exhibition.
1: Take. Let me hear your take on this exhibition while we're here.
0: Do I need to give one? I mean, I don't know. I I think that uh, they should go out, they should earn their money, and whatever. They're both old. Like, I don't like seeing really... Like, I wouldn't like seeing Mike Tyson fight a 30-year-old guy. But if he's fighting a 51-year-old guy, like, I don't know. Is that a big deal? I don't know. And there's no winner.
1: I think it just ends in a draw. So, Does like, it? we're just watching... Is that what it spark- is? Well, it's
0: an exhibition. That doesn't mean there's no winner.
1: Yeah. No, like, there's going to be no knockouts, no knockdowns. They're not like they're trying to hurt each other. I don't know. Maybe they get competitive or, or whatnot, but... My well, do you think Mike Tyson's is, is going
0: to get punched in the face and not get emotional? <laughs> I,
1: that's all. If he does, because if we're all buying the pay per view, I'm hoping for a little bit of action. I'm hoping for some fights, and I think even on the undercard they're putting uh, Logan Paul's brother. Is it oh, Jake Paul? Yeah, I guess Nate Robinson. Yeah, yeah. So see, that's it's the kind of thing that, show.
0: that's the kind of thing I don't think does anything for boxing. Like yeah. it's it's like it does it does things for that particular event. Like, it, it'll get metrics. Like, people will buy it to see Jake Paul box or Logan Paul or whoever it is. But, like, you're not doing anything to, like, to help the longevity of the sport. Like, it's not like you're you're reviving boxing by doing this. It's just it's a one-off thing that people will pay for. And, you know, but don't think that people are going to become boxing fans because they're watching Jake Paul fight or Logan Paul fight. It's like...
1: I'm actually... I, I get know. really upset with these kind of shows, to be honest. Like, even when I see these... Um, how businesses, they do these age. See fights and different people from one office or one police force can fight another. Someone like I'm really against those. It goes against what martial arts is. You're getting two people who are untrained to fight each other, to get emotional, to take headshots and not know how to take hits. It actually is really frustrating to me to see maybe even this basketball player. Yeah, you're a great athlete, but you've never been punched in the face. That's that takes a lot of training. It's like I can't just all of a sudden go play in the NBA now because I played high school basketball here and there like I mean it's a it's a sport respected you're gonna you can get hurt from it you know and I just think people take it very lightly and it just kind of goes against what martial arts and the sport is yeah just go fight each other that's what they're basically doing there's no art to it
0: yeah so there's like the rant of the day my my cousin did uh, one of those things the the bay street whatever but you know what though like it's it I kind of agree with you but it also helps a lot of people have like a goal and have and uh, get fit and so I think there is something good about it. Like I, I you know, I don't think I, I would think it would, was bad if my cousin like boxed a professional boxer. But if he's boxing someone on his level, I yeah, know like you know, there's, he there's no artistry. What if he
1: swung and he get knocked out? Like what happens? It's very he doesn't know how to defend. And this guy swings. He was just a better athlete overall. Swings a big overhand, and then your poor cousin who doesn't fight, is doing it for fun, a little bit of charity, and gets knocked out and has a concussion now. Like. I, mean, I don't know to me it's like yeah I've that could happen so in training too if i sparring at people. people yeah yeah. I mean but at least you're trained you've gone through progression you've gone through my beginner program you've learned how to defend punches and drills and after a year like couple years you get into your first fight you don't just get into your first fight so, what's, what's
0: the do you, have you ever had like a prodigy that you've uh, that you've had on your team where that, that just he like they, they basically um, evolved really quickly
1: Oh, I've had lots of those kids, but I mean, a lot of times it's like they're in school or they're young or, you know, they just kind of fizzle out and it's not for everyone. It's really hard dedication and it's literally like the pressure it takes to do it. It's really hard. But I mean, I've had some good kids, like there's still a couple and I still tell them all the time. I said, you can easily be a world champion. It's just they're busy life, school, like, and I mean, it's not really for everyone. Yeah. And I've seen just natural athletes. And, and again, some of my kids are smart in school and they want to fight. I was like, no, 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 go to university. When you're done university, then come talk to me about wanting to compete and stuff like that. I encourage all my kids to go to school before competing. I think that's number one priority for everyone.
0: Uh, you might be an anomaly there.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, why is I'm like, you're not going to become a professional fighter that's like school. You're smart enough. You go to school. When you're done school, then we can talk about it. And then at least your brain's developed, and you know what you want in life, and you have a backup plan. So all my young kids get that speech.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad that that's uh, what you encourage. I think that uh, it would be great if more coaches uh, steered people in that direction yeah. because I think that you're right though. Like because you know should should they want to compete you know, at least by then they'll know, you know, what, what they're giving up to do that, you know, like if they've got a yeah. degree in something like business or something and they say, well, I, I'm more passionate about this and I'll, I'll put that that to the side in order to compete, then yeah, like I think that they can make an informed decision at that point in time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even young guys who've already competed, once you break down what a first time UFC fighter makes and then you take away percentage of manager and coaches and life and training and income tax, that you're not making anything. And you can get, it's very difficult to sustain a life in the sport, especially from an early age. So, I mean, a lot of people and early athletes need double careers. So that's the first thing they got to learn. You got to be able to manage a, a, a job and and your fight sport, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like I mean, here even Jeff Neal coming up, who's got the the fight coming up. He still works at a, a steakhouse. Well, the funny thing about him,
0: the funny thing about Jeff Neal is, I interviewed him back in the day, and he, he said, like, I'm. He he was like, I'll never quit my 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 job at the as a restaurant server or whatever it is he does something at a restaurant business uh until i make like a million dollars or something and i was like okay and then he did he was like i'm becoming a full-time fighter but then he got so bored becoming a full-time fighter that he like went back to working in the industry because yeah. he, he has military parents I, I, I don't know how many people know that about jeff neal so his life was always like by the clock like his dad yeah. his, his parents were like you wake up at this time you make your bed you do this, you do, you know, very regimented. And I think that kind of routine helps him.
1: Yeah, who knows? It must work. I mean, he's got to be making enough. But I mean, still, if you think about it, it's probably not that much money he's making. I mean, to sustain if he has a family and a house and a mortgage and he's the only, you know, one supporting the family with multiple kids. Like, I mean, one fighter salary isn't enough to fight two, three times a year to have a good living. So he still probably has to grind.
0: Yeah, for sure, and uh, man, he's a real up and comer. I think that he's, oh, I'm so he's, excited
1: yeah. for his career. Mm-hmm, for sure,
0: he's going to make a lot of noise. I think he's uh, he's just a fun, fun fighter to watch, right? Like,
1: yeah, he comes to knock your head off, which mm-hmm. is fun. He's got so much power. He's explosive. He's not intimidated by. It doesn't seem like it right now that he's intimidated by bigger names in front of him. I think that's going to be a big test once you put one of the big boys in his face to see how he reacts. I think will be a fun fight.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, this weekend, you've got uh, Derek Brunson against Edmund Shabazi in main event. Shabazi's a minus 350 favorite against Derek Brunson. I think you would be crazy to lay that.
1: I mean, yeah, give me a little bit. To be honest, I don't know enough about Edmund to speak on him, but uh, there's a lot of hype surrounding him. What's your take on him?
0: Well, he's awesome. I think he's a really strong up-and-coming fighter. He's got good power. We've seen him go three rounds before. Uh, This is a a three-round fight, not a five-round fight, because it was uh, made into a main event recently um apparently shabazzian wanted it to be a five round main event but uh, brunson uh w- preferred three since that's what he was training for uh, and you can't blame him for that but uh mm-hmm. man brunson has looked good recently brunson has really changed his approach to the game and he's a savvy veteran and i like i just don't think that you could you could put that price like i think shabazzian will win but i think at minus 350 that's a cr- that's that's a, a little bit too high of a price uh, I mean, you might want to take the in round one prop because he's been winning a lot of his props, but even that is like plus 155. So, I mean, Brunson he round is. one is plus 800. That's an interesting prop, too. <laughs> like, maybe you take, maybe yeah. you go in that direction because Brunson's got big power also. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Shabazian's just been... He's been walking through everybody, and uh, I think that he's an incredible prospect. But, man, Brunson is, is, I think, far and away the toughest opponent he'll have fought, and uh, that
1: Brunson's still very good. From my understanding, Shabazian is more of like that distance style fighter where he mixes his punches and kicks on the outside. Yeah, he's he's is very that... well rounded. Um, okay. But
0: then again, so is Brunson, right? Like, I mean, I know yeah. Brunson has a lot more miles on him, but uh, at the same time, I still think that Brunson is probably the more evolved fighter at this point in time, mm-hmm. and he's he's. He's really just changed his approach. Like, if you look at his recent fights, he had that... He beats beats Ian Heinisch, and that was a, he was a, a sizable underdog in that fight, very tactical, and he beat Elias Theodoru. So all of that happened after he lost to Izzy. He kind of changed, yeah. and that was like nearly two years ago that he lost to Izzy. So, he, you know, he beats Elias Theodoru. It's a very tactical fight, and he out-tactics a great tactician in Elias. And then the same with Heinish. Heinish is a very talented fighter, and, and Brunson uh, was able to beat him. So... Those are two difficult fights in the middleweight division. He's he's passed both those tests, and now against Shabazi, and, like, I just, again, I just think that it's it's not that I don't think that he's going to win. I just think that that price is a little bit risky.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't be bad, like you're saying. Brunson in round one, he's got big power. He, he's, he's aggressive. He's fought tricky guys before. So him pressing forward, landing a big shot, you know, it's doable.
0: Yeah, plus 800. It's... Uh, Certainly worth a look. Uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, three fights, three fighters fell off this card. So you had uh, Ray Borg, for undisclosed reasons, off the card. Um, you had, uh, who is Jamal Emmer supposed to, to face? Um, the opponent for Jamal Emmer it was uh, Timur Valiev. He, he jumped off. He uh, had to pull out of the fight. And again, I think it's all undisclosed reasons. Um, and uh, then we also saw uh, Marcus Perez's opponent, Eric Spicely, drop off the card, they found a replacement for Perez, but there was a complication with the commission, so now Perez is off the card, so it's a 10, ten fight card, they found replacements for Emers, uh, like a replacement opponents for Emmers and for Manus, so uh, that the card's going to happen, And uh, but it, it's just surprising to see all of these, you know, as soon as they come back to Las Vegas, they're starting to get into this, these situations with these late notice replacements again.
1: Yeah, it's. I think that's what the fight game is going to be, to be honest. I think it's so many ups and downs and so many tests and false positives. And, I mean, just there's so many different factors going on. So I think a lot of the guys on the rosters, especially in the one, two, five fight range, should stay ready. They really got to stay ready because there's so many opportunities to jump on right now. And looking, Aaron, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, sorry. I thought my phone But yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say, I'm just looking at the prelims. Now, there's some fights I'm excited for. I mean, I've always liked watching uh, Chris Gutierrez. He's been doing phenomenal. I met him um, when I was at the UFC Institute. And he's got that system now where he has the best performances. Yes. And of course, I'm going to be riding high on him. (laughs) And that's his – he knows that – Like that, what I talked about with Tanner Bozer, he understands the footwork system to keep distance and chop away the legs safely and efficiently. So, I mean, that's going to be, again, I don't know who he's fighting, but I know Gutierrez will be safe and and do a lot of damage because of his kicking style. So, I'm excited to see that. And then uh, Ed Herman. I always like watching Ed Herman fight from many years ago. So, I mean, always, and Gerald Merchardt's a scrapper too, so bangers for sure
0: yeah Sharp making his debut with uh light heavyweight in the ufc that should be interesting um and uh jonathan martinez missed weight earlier so uh, he will face frankie science that's the that's the one that i'm the one line that really confuses me is science is a plus 210 underdog i if i was if i was taking someone that was a, like if someone said which underdog do you like on this card he would be my guy
1: okay explain why
0: well, I think Martinez is good like Martinez is a good he's an evolving fighter, but Frankie science is a really scrappy like he's he's a lunchbox guy like he's a guy that's gonna he's a hard hat hat guy he's he's just a, a blue collar uh grinder that that knows how to win fights and he's got experience. I know he's forty he's older and at bantam weight that's never really a great look. I thought Martinez looked really good in his last fight, but obviously Martinez has had a tough weight cut uh you know he he got on the scale relatively early and was like six and a half pounds over. Or four and a half pounds over, something along those cool. lines. So uh, yeah, four and a half pounds over. So uh, you know, I, I just think that science at that price is worth a look. Science is a really good fighter. I thought this this fight would be closer to like a pickem.
1: Hmm. All right, I'll keep an eye when I'm making my parlays this weekend.
0: Yeah, put put a little, uh, you know, make make sure that uh, he blinded you with science when you uh, there when you, you go. That. I may, or I blinded you with science because i I'm, 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 I'm biasing you with science. Uh, okay. So, we'll see. But I just think at that price, that's, uh, that's worth a look. Um, and what I What about...
1: Uh, sorry, continue. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just looked at the main, uh, the, the main card, and I got a little peek at Vanata versus Green.
0: Yeah, that's a and that's a really And nice. The, and the first fight, um, Vanada I think, had a 10-8 round, basically, against Green, but he lost a point, if I'm not mistaken. So, he ended up That winning. was recent, too, right? Yeah. So, uh, he, that fight ended up being a draw. I just don't remember when. It, it was somewhat recent, I think it was uh, on a pretty high, big card because I remember being at it. It was at UFC 234, so it was last year. No, no, sorry. I I'm looking mean, at the wrong I one. I thought it was. No, I'm looking at the showing. wrong one. It was UFC 216. It was Ferguson versus Lee, so it was a while ago. Oh, it was October. Yeah, it was, it was 2017. I just remember I was at that fight covering. it because I remember talking to I think to I'm him.
1: confusing Venata with one of his other opponents then. Yeah, possibly. Uh, who was Green's last few opponents?
0: Who, Bobby Green? He just fought Clay Guida recently. Okay. And he fought Trinaldo back in November.
1: No. Thinking someone else. Yeah. Because a uh, lot of times I get um, Kelleher confused with uh, Vanada. Too many fighters in the U.S. For some reason, Vanada and uh, Kelleher confuse me. Mm
0: -hmm. That's fair
1: enough. No clue why. Maybe the style. Both. Yeah. Like them both, though.
0: Good fight i i also am uh interested and we're gonna have joan calderwood on later on but i was very surprised that she took this fight against jennifer maya because calderwood was scheduled to fight shevchenko shevchenko got injured and rather than waiting for the title shot she took a really tough opponent in jennifer maya uh jennifer maya could win herself a title shot with a win here because she made weight she's missed weight her previous two fights but she not only did she make weight she was the first person on the scale and she weighed a championship weight 124 and a hundred and twenty-four and a half pounds so, Maya showing a lot of discipline, making a statement today, and i love to see that.
1: Yeah, I mean, even Calderwood, I mean, it's risky, but uh, she really earned her shot with uh, chances and just opportunities. So, I'm sure they're going to give her a chance after, I would well, think.
0: Well, if she loses, they won't. Well,
1: maybe they promised her maybe for stepping up, or there's some clause in her, I don't know.
0: But I guess we'll see. I mean, there's now a new wild card in the flyweight division. Uh, they just announced this week. Uh, Barek Komodo reported uh, Jessica Andrade is moving up the flyweight and taking on Jessica I. So that's huh. uh, that's an interesting one because I think Andrade, if like let's say Calderwood loses this fight and Andrade beats I, I think Andrade is next in line. Like that division is so thin that you can make a case that Andrade would be the next person. Be that's the best fight you can make really in that division now that Andrade is in it. I think Andrade versus uh, Shevchenko is by far the best fight you can make in that division now.
1: Is there any talk about Shevchenko coming back?
0: november apparently
1: okay i looked, haven't heard her name yeah. in a while
0: yeah she got injured she, she had to have surgery so uh oh, she's yes. out until november so uh she's gone till november uh, so, that's that's a so music November. hey you I got it look I at got that I finally i'm impressed
1: got the Y john reference <laughs> yeah there you go my first one after what the first year music year reference ever that? yeah that's it i got I, that
0: one i'm guessing blinded uh, blinded me with science flew over your head did you get that one at all yeah
1: no that one flew over
0: me. that's a, yeah that's a that's a um uh, was a big single in the 80s by thomas dolby she blinded me nope. with science nope
1: mm-hmm. that's gone blinded by the light maybe you would have got me hey, there you go no nope. who's that Not one by holland
0: oates blinded by the light yeah uh i, mm, I might be wrong on that uh Anyhow. Don't ask me. So they, yeah, I'm asking you who would that' <laughs> Don't right. ask me. Yeah, that's that's a mistake. It's like me asking Malcolm yeah. Gordon who the women's flyway champion is.
1: That's it. Mistake. Could we can get ma- can we
0: could we get Malcolm on and I can ask him like really easy like MMA trivia? Like yeah, would he do yeah, sure. would he do really poorly?
1: I I don't know. Maybe I think he'd do better than we think. I have no clue. I literally I send them fights. I send them clips to, to watch. But I think he's just more into watching his jujitsu. But I'm gonna force him to watch a lot more UFC and MMA now. So, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's see really how much he knows. <laughs> I won't even. I won't even. I won't even tell him that we're gonna trivia. Like if I said we'll like just this, if I said
0: like this fighter one who became who would go on to become a UFC champion, beat Chris Lieben in his debut. Like would he? He wouldn't know the answer to that probably. That's too hard. I don't
1: think so. No, I don't yeah. think he would.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't think he would. Yeah, well. Yeah, I don't know. It might surprise us. Maybe with less pressure and a little bit more relaxed, he knows. But I really don't think so.
0: Okay, well, I, I'm interested to see that. We should we should do that sometime soon.
1: All right. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, you know, He's antsy to get back to training, too. So Yeah, so I guess now him. that
0: the gym's opening, he'll be there first day?
1: Yep, first day. We're starting full schedule. We're starting, like, literally, we're ready. We're going into, like, we're going to pretend we're in training camp right now. We're gonna put our mind to improving, focusing, getting stronger, getting better in every aspect. Like we got a big chance, you know, in our next opportunity, and we have to show. Oh, he he might—he might as well be like.
0: I mean, he might as well be, um, you know, in camp because there's so many people dropping off of cars these days that you need to be ready.
1: Yeah, he needs some time to develop. He needs some time to clean our mind. A nice couple months, I think, he's gonna be back and to where he was and even better.
0: Cool. Well, we're looking forward to it. We we need to see more Canadians yeah. in the UFC. And we've got I a bunch agree. actually
1: coming up on Contender Series. Contender Series starting
0: this Tuesday. It airs on TSN this year. So uh, we have a lot of Canadians. I think there's already five or six announced to be on the show. So that's yeah, uh, that's a great, exciting. Yeah. First, yeah, of, first Slowly of, uh, start
1: building. And I mean, the other Canadians we've had haven't been able to pull a contract out of it. but They haven't mean, been I able to pull Laird a win is, out of it.
0: They haven't gotten a win. I know. It's okay. not just a contract. All right. So uh, the I mean, first first one to to get a shot at it uh, on this, I think is going to win his fight, and that's TJ Laramie. Mm-hmm. He's uh, I think he's August August the eleventh is his debut.
1: Yeah, I just hope he can put an exciting win to it. I think he'll get the win, but he's got to he's got to put that finish in right. That's that's the whole point to entertain. I know his wrestling, his ground and pound is good, but hopefully he mixes it up and uh, does a lot of damage and gets the contract because he deserves to be there. And it really
0: some, does. Someone you're familiar with is uh, on the in the main event of the first Contender Series. Do you know who it is?
1: It's a co-main event, isn't it?
0: Oh, is it the co-main? I don't know. I'm looking at the press release now, and this
1: was at but, the top. But, uh, yeah, Dustin Jacoby. Yeah, former UFC yeah. fighter,
0: turned glory kickboxer, now trying to get back to the UFC.
1: Yeah, Jacoby and I have known each other for so many years. Um, we actually fought on the same card together. We fought in Japan together, New York together. Pretty sure he fought on the turkey card with me as well. No, it was he fought after the turkey card. So, yeah, we've we've been on many cards. I've commented all of his fights. So, well, we're close. And I know him and Mark Montoya. The big issue with him is, is he's got a broken arm. And he's had trouble, you know, with it healing. And that's why he had to leave kickboxing. So, hopefully in MMA, it's, they don't kick the arm as much. Maybe it's a little bit safer for him. So I hope uh, he can get something out of it because, man, he scraps. He knows how to fight. He's been a, a veteran of so many years of so many different sports. He was recently in an event in Denver, not the highest of opponents, but it was in the same night he did an MMA fight, a kickboxing fight, and a boxing fight, three different opponents and knocked all three out.
0: Well, that doesn't sound like a so, great idea, but I'm glad you knocked all three of them out. No, I know. <laughs> but, I mean,
1: I wasn't happy to see the quality did it, but it was still pretty impressive, and you know that... Someone of that many years is still going in and just loves fighting. Still,
0: that's what you call a hat trick in combat sports.
1: That's it, all three <laughs> different sports in one night. Why not? No
0: grappling. You want to There's MMA, that?
1: right? There should maybe in the MMA part, but I mean, yeah.
0: no, I mean like straight grappling. They should have added that also, given him a chance to hit a grand slam. Might and as hit well. all four.
1: Might as well. There you go. If, we'll if he did that, Aaron if he did Bryan that last, started.
0: I mean, he wouldn't have gotten. You know, you're not getting punched or you know or anything like that in a combat sport. Like if it's just straight jujitsu, that would have been fun. Yeah,
1: yeah, should have actually. Absolutely, I think it all favors strikers, anyways. Obviously, with kickboxing, boxing, and MMA.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. So. That's something that uh, you want. You want good strikers in there for that. So. That's yeah,
1: something that's good for me.
0: And they only asked but, to fight yeah, once they... this time, so we'll see
1: how that's that goes. It. We'll see. Yeah, and against someone who's probably not as uh, fight. You know combat seasoned as he is, so he should have an advantage uh, going in there with with whoever, whoever he's with.
0: Oh, it'd be nice to see him back in the UFC if he's able to get there um so uh well, let's get to, to our interviews, Joe. We got a lot of them to get to. Um, we'll start off with uh, an interview with Edmund Shabajian and then we will uh, finish off the show with interviews with Joanne Calderwood and Tanner Bozer uh, Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, Joe always appreciate it and uh awesome we'll, we'll talk to you next week.
1: We'll see you next
0: week. I'm joined now by the main event of this weekend's card. It's Edmund Shabazian taking on Derek Brunson. How cool is that? Main event. That came out of left field.
2: It's awesome. Awesome. You know, uh, my first main event, I'm ready. And we're just waiting for Saturday night. I want to go out and perform.
0: And performing is what you've been doing uh, since you've gotten to the UFC. Uh, is there a development Because you're so young, do you feel like from one fight to the next, you're improving more than the average UFC fighter because you're able to absorb so much more information?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I I say it after every fight. Uh, I'm constantly improving, getting better mentally, physically. And like I said, after each fight and before each fight, I say this is the best I felt and this is the best I felt. So we're ready.
0: Uh, there was a rumor that your brother Leon was going to be on this card. What ended up happening with that is he uh is he getting clo- getting close to getting to the UFC? I know he was on Contender Series last year.
2: Yeah, I saw there was some rumor like that, but the rumor wasn't true, but um uh soon like California was locked down for any fights, so it, they just recently opened it up and he'll he'll be on a local show soon and then soon to be UFC.
0: Was there any truth to the rumor?
2: Uh <laughs> I don't know, not that much. All right,
0: I'll just I'll just go with that. Nope, not that much. <laughs> um, so Derek Brunson, he's a heavy hitter. Uh, of course, so are you. What do you think is your best path against him? Are you wanting to stand and trade with him because his chin has been tested so many times before, and and he has gone down in those situations?
2: I mean, I know, I know. Um, he, Derek has kind of switched up his style recently a little more, being a little more patient and uh, trying to like fight more smart, but. Um, whatever way he comes at me, I'm prepared for. Whether he's gonna blitz at me, do his wild attacks, or be a little more patient, I'm ready to go in there and showcase my full arsenal. And uh, we're, I'm 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 ready all around. You know, whatever whatever he brings to the table, I'm gonna I'm gonna be ready.
0: So when this was announced uh, that it was going to be the main event, it was Dana White and your manager, Ronda Rousey, discussing it on Instagram. How involved is Ronda in your day-to-day in terms of being your manager? Like, how, how often are you guys speaking and how often are you guys kind of mapping out your future?
2: Uh, I don't speak to Ronda day-to-day. Uh, she, she speaks more day-to-day to Coach Edmund. And Coach Edmund is also uh, a part of my management team. So they they work together and uh, they they figure out all the plans for me and Uh, figuring out all the fights and everything like that but yeah but uh i speak to her here and there like a couple times a month i would say
0: it seems like a lot of people um were were taking i guess poking fun at at, at, uh your coach edmund after ronda's career um do you feel like that was really unfair of people to not give him a chance to prove that he can continue to develop ufc talent like yourself
2: yeah you know uh, definitely definitely it's unfair you know uh, I've known Coach Edmond. I've started with Coach Edmond since I was ten. So, and to see the rise that I've been on, and, and people could just look at that, you know, see my display that uh, I've grew. I've grew up training with Coach Edmond, and they they could people can see like you know like those stuff that people talk about is not true, and it's just like rumors. And uh, I mean, it, it happens, you know. It's 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 the social media people sometimes they call them like keyboard warriors or something like that. Um, they just go off, you
3: know? <laughs> yeah, I
0: guess there weren't a lot of people coming into the gym to make fun of them during that time. I've, that's just the guess. Yeah
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course. No,
0: no. <laughs> um, another question about you that I have is that, you know, a lot of people get into the game late and they, you know, they're, they're older and they they get into their prime, but they're they're not really that developed since you've started so early in your life you said you, since you were 10 years old do you feel like you have just about as much experience as anybody that might even be five six years older than you because you've been doing it for so long
2: oh for sure you know uh it's not like uh i i turned professional at 19 years old but before that i was competing in a lot of amateur amateur competitions whether it was boxing wrestling uh kickboxing i was competing all and and jiu-jitsu i was competing all the aspects of mma so growing up i was I was uh, gaining my experience in in all the aspects. So uh, yeah, I understand. Like a lot of people, like like my next opponent, he has uh, more UFC fights than me. He's older than me, and like uh, like they say, he has more experience than me. But I mean, isn't that going to be the case? Whoever I fight next, like most of them are are going to have more than eleven fights, and uh, I, I'm I'm prepared for that. You know, I, I've been preparing as a kid. That's why at eleven, I know I'm. I'm where I'm at and I'm blessed to be where I'm at.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that even though they're going to have more UFC experience than you, you've been training for such a long time that you might actually be ahead in your development uh, because of that.
2: For sure, for sure, you know, definitely. That, that's, a, that's a good advantage to have uh, as far as, you know, being experienced in all the aspects growing up.
0: So are you going to be keeping posters for this event? Or are you going to be putting them up in the gym, putting them up in your house? I mean, having your name on the marquee is pretty cool.
2: Oh, it's very cool. I haven't gotten a poster yet, so maybe today or tomorrow I'll I'll be getting mine, but definitely we will put it up in my house or in the gym.
0: What do you think of the current state of the middleweight division? Uh, We just saw um, a matchup between Darren Till and Robert Whitaker. Of course, uh, Israel's the champion facing Paulo Costa. How quickly do you think you can ascend in that division and um where where do you where do you feel like you stand in the like if you were to rank yourself in this division regardless of you know what, what the actual rankings are but in terms of talent where, where do you see yourself right now because I'm sure you still feel like you might have a little bit more to develop before you get right into the title picture
2: oh yeah like like I said so I'm developing after every fight more and more and uh, I see myself definitely definitely right now in the in the top ten and with the win over brunson you know it'll, it'll bump me up a couple more spots for sure from where i'm at but like i said uh i I just keep improving day to day my body's growing uh, physically mentally and yeah i'm just constantly improving every single day and uh i'm gonna get there get to the top very soon
0: the good thing about this division is there are a lot of matchups for, for you stylistically that seem to be in your favor or, or at least matchups where where you would fare very well uh, against a lot of these stand-up fighters like a Robert Whitaker, Darren Till, uh, even the champion. Do you feel that same way?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you can't go in here thinking you can't beat those guys. Uh, well, for me, I want to be the best in the world and I have to believe in myself fully and I do believe that I would be a really good matchup with them. It would be a really good matchup for them to end. Also, matching up with guys like Brunson and all those top 10 guys, it, I, I like competitiveness. I, I like that, uh, that there's going to be some competition in the match because that drives me even more. That motivates me even more to go out there and perform better.
0: What did you think of this guy, Hamzat Shemaev, that fought on the last two cards? I don't know if you've been watching them, but uh, he seemed oh, yeah, to make a pretty yeah. big splash. He did, he, did,
2: he did a good job. He, he looked really good. And uh, what, he got like 180 punches to two, right? So, yeah, I think it was
0: 192 to two or something along those lines.
2: That's that's crazy, you know. Heads off to him, and you know the, he's going to climb up the rankings, and let's see where he goes from here.
0: Yeah, Robert Whitaker joked this past weekend when asked about fighting him in the future. He said he's, he's at welterweight, and I hope he stays there. Uh, it yeah. seems like people aren't going to want to be facing him. Have you had the same kind of problems? I mean, you're you're a, a really highly touted prospect. Have you had trouble getting
2: people to sign to fight you? Um. I was, uh, uh, nah. I mean, I've always wanted someone to break above me, you know, maybe like some of them like have turned it down because my name's is not too big or something like that. But I always want to like look ahead and uh, fight like someone be- better ranked than me. So that way I could keep climbing. I, I don't want to just like fight local and just like get paid for that. I want to improve, improve and show my show my improvements with better skilled fighters. You know, that's what I want to do.
0: It's kind of a weird dichotomy that goes on in the UFC. You you see people that have a higher ranking wanting to fight higher ranked fighters and not lower ranked fighters, but the lower ranked fighters want to fight the higher ranked fighters so they can move up. Uh, The ranking (laughs) system kind of makes that difficult sometimes.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: All right, Evan. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you again, and uh, I look forward to watching you this weekend against Derek Brunson, the main events on TSN here in Canada.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it, brother.
0: I'm pleased to be joined now by Jojo Calderwood, who's going to be facing Jennifer Maya this weekend in Las Vegas. And I guess the first question is why? Why, Jennifer Maya? Uh, you had a title fight lined up uh, with Valentina Shevchenko at Flyweight. So, what compelled you to take this, this very dangerous fight, really?
4: Uh, it, it, it happened. I think it just happened for a reason because we found out, we heard that Valentina was going to be out even more so we were like we had already made that decision of okay let's just take another fight because we don't want to be on the shelf and it will already be nearly a year and by the time that Valentina was ready it would be a year, uh, more than a year that I would have not have fought so we took that decision let's get another fight in there and the next day we heard do you guys want to take a fight in two weeks notice and we were like sure let's do it even better because we see it as, okay, get in there, get one, uh, have a good, get some ring time in there, get out, and then still have enough time uh, to fight Valentina if she comes back at the end of the year.
0: And uh, in terms of the weight, um, she's been missing weight frequently, and you're one of the outliers at flyweight that's moved up from strawweight and had success. Most of the time, it's been weights that have dropped down that have been really successful. You've been an anomaly in that sense. Are you worried at all that she's going to be much heavier? And if she does miss weight, do you guys have some sort of game plan as to what you're going to do uh, in terms of accepting the fight?
4: No, I feel like she's not fought for... It's nearly been a year now, so I feel like she'll she'll have got her shit together and she'll have everything in order because also, she was already planning. She had a full camp for this fight, so even though she has before, but I feel like I just have a feeling that she's gonna she's gonna be alright. Uh, she looks like she's in great shape, so I'm just going down with the positive vibes of she's gonna make weight and everything's gonna go ahead. And if it doesn't, then we'll we'll discuss we'll come across that and discuss it when if that happens.
0: How happy are you that this weight class was invented in the first place? I mean, it seems like there are a lot of fighters that want to see a 165-pound and 175-pound weight class on the men's side because it would just be so much more well-suited to them. Of course, in women's MMA, it was 115 to 135, which is just a chasm in terms of uh, body size for women. Um Is this flyweight division really a, a second breath of life for your MMA career?
4: For sure. I, yeah, it's a lifesaver and I feel like even this whole fight week when I've started cutting out carbs and uh, my meal sizes have went smaller, it just reminds me of what my whole fight camp was like for strawweight. It wasn't just a week of this, it was 10 weeks of this just for me to make weight and you feel the difference in your energy, your mood and just your whole lifestyle, it changes everything and I feel like I'm more happy at this weight and it's more healthier. Uh, So it's just no-brainer right now. And it's so good that I just have to suffer for that one week instead of 10 weeks.
0: I spoke to Darren Till about that last week because he said that he was always more worried about the weight cut than his actual opponent. And then by the time he'd get the weight down and he'd make the weight, he'd be like, oh, well now I've got to fight Tyron Woodley or whoever it is. Is that how you felt at strawweight?
4: Yeah, it was definitely a battle with that even in camp and out of camp because there's a lot of things you're like oh I can't have this so I have to have it now and it's just it messes you up in the head and uh, until you realize until you're in the great mindset of no that's not smart that's just going to make it harder and you know you can't think like that and you get everything in order then it does make it a little bit more easier but for sure, I definitely think that when people ask me, "Oh, are you nervous for the fight?" You're always like, "Well, I've got a few things to do before that. I have to get there. I have to train my butt off, and then I have to do the weight cut. So there's a few things that is taking my mind off the fight before it actually comes."
0: Not to mention, of course, the COVID-19 protocol this time around, which is a, a you know very fresh thing for all the fighters.
4: Yeah, it's it's been challenging and. Uh, you know, I want to make sure we're all doing the right thing and we're following these rules, so we don't actually—it's not—it's not second nature to us. Fight week is, but we've got all these different things that have been added in place for our safety. Uh, so this has been interesting. It's been—it's not your usual fight week for sure.
0: How much has your life changed in the last five years? It seems like when you first came to the UFC, you were—you were a very hyped prospect, but you didn't have the stability that you needed outside of the cage. Uh, how how has life changed for you over the course of five years, and, and how much has that helped uh, your direction in terms of your career?
4: For me, I, I feel like consistency was always missing. I was always there. Uh, when I left Scotland, I was kind of lost a little bit, lost in my way. And I was traveling all the time, and I just probably didn't have that consistency that could keep me in a good place mentally and physically. And when I came to Las Vegas and I got a lot of help from UFC Performance Institute on my weight and my lifestyle outside of training, that really helped. And But yeah, I would say for me, it's definitely been consistency and finding where I want to be and where I'm happy and the right training partners I wanted. I always wanted female training partners And it took me a while to find that. And now I'm here. I'm grateful for the journey. It's taught me a lot. But I feel like now that I'm in the place where uh, I should be, I feel like I'm going to be in my prime and perform much better.
0: Now it's time for the uh, clickbait part of this interview. I saw you called out Conor McGregor on the UFC's uh, Europe Twitter. I was wondering what weight class you'd like that to be at.
4: (laughs) Yeah, because he's for sure not coming down to my weight, right? That was, a, a few, I think, a few years ago I saw it. I'd done that. Uh, so I saw it this morning, I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he'll respond to that, if he'll come <laughs> out of retirement.
0: Well, are you calling him a coward that he won't move down to 125? Because I've got a headline I can type up here. Joanne Calderwood <laughs> says Conor McGregor's unwilling to cut the weight.
4: He's unwilling to cut off his both legs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a that's a heavy upper body. You think it's one hundred and twenty five pounds? Yeah, maybe. Maybe his upper body's one hundred and twenty. But that's probably that sounds about right. I'm not a mathematician. I
4: might, I might have more of a chance as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what what can you tell me about Jennifer Maya in terms of uh, in terms of her style and how you match up against her?
4: She's awesome. She's great, well-rounded fighter. Most of our uh, fights have went the distance, which means she's very tough. She sticks in there. And just by watching her fight, she likes to stand and bang. And I'm very excited for this uh, fight, for her style and my style as well.
0: And what's the latest on Valentina? Obviously, you were lined up to face her. She got injured. Um, I heard you mention in a recent interview with Ariel Holwani that she uh, required surgery and, and has uh, since under, undergone surgery, won't be available till November. Um, are you planning on waiting after this fight for that, that uh, contest? Uh, should you be successful this weekend?
4: I feel like I'll get the thing that's been burning inside out of my system for for a fight. So I feel like come Saturday, I'll probably be like, oh, when's the next fight? But at the same time, I'll probably have got rid of the killer instinct that's been burning inside me to have a fight. And I'll be happy to wait for a few more months and... The last thing we heard was she would be good for November, so I definitely think that will be good. And for me, I think it's a smart decision to get ring some ring time in there. I don't want to be out for a year and then face the best girl in the world and the best in my division. I don't think that's smart.
0: Yeah, I think that that is an interesting part about this. You know, you've gotten a lot of kudos from everybody that you've decided to take a fight and and, and risk your spot in the division, but... As you mentioned, there's nothing that supplements real cage time, and getting able to you know getting the ability to do that in preparation for Valentina might be more valuable than than sitting and waiting and and you know having a slam dunk matchup in terms of that fight coming together. Um, is that is that why this fight was was so uh, important to you? Is, is taking this and not having to be on the shelf for so long? Yep, for
4: sure. And I'm someone that likes to fight. There's only so much you can get out of sparring in the gym. You know, you're you're. You're sparring with your your teammates. You don't want to let that kill mode come out. So I feel I struggle with that and just you know what we are doing. We're putting our bodies through, our minds through every day, and to not have an end goal or an a bonus at the end of it, it's hard. You know, you could that's a worry of mine that oh I could get injured in this year that I'm out and then come the fight gets announced and we sign contracts and then the next week I get injured you know we can't play it on I just think it's smart for me just to get in there right now because uh, th- there was things playing in my mind that I just wanted to get back in there
0: Alright well I don't doubt your reasons for it I think that it's uh, it's great that we're going to get to see you in the cage again this weekend and uh, best of luck against Jennifer Maya.
4: Thank you so much thanks for having me on
0: I'm joined now by one of the top Canadians in the UFC. He has two wins in the month of July, uh, or at least from June to July. It's uh, Tanner Bowser who's uh, joining us now. He's in quarantine right now in Edmonton. So what's keeping you busy right now?
3: Right now I'm uh, playing Pokemon Go, and I'm only a couple days into my quarantine, so I'm not going stir-crazy just yet. But uh, give me time.
0: What's the uh, best Pokemon that you've caught so far?
3: I caught some real good ones in... Uh... In uh, Abu Dhabi, there's some that you can only get in certain parts of the world, so there's a couple that are only in a couple countries, and I scored some there, so productive.
0: Yeah, people should get their plane tickets uh, to Abu Dhabi so they can get those ones.
3: Yeah, I was opportunistic about it. I wouldn't go out of my way. <laughs>
0: so two big wins for you, obviously. Uh, I read an article about you uh, in The Athletic Day that Ben Folkes wrote and you talk about how you like to impose your will over three rounds. You you don't mind getting a decision. You actually prefer that. Uh, but if a win comes along the way, you're more than happy to have that happen. Uh, that's kind of a unique approach. Why do you have that approach in the heavyweight division?
3: Okay, I don't prefer it. I prefer getting my opponent out of there as fast as possible. That's what I prefer. But I'm always prepared and ready to... My plan is always that I'm going to go in and beat somebody up for 15 minutes. That's how I have to look at it. I'm going to impose my will, make this guy play my game, and I'm going to beat him over the course of 15 minutes. If he goes down before the final bell, great. That's even better. But I don't plan for that.
0: One thing that I don't think should be understated going into this previous fight against Pessoa was you had a lot of hurdles along the way. So you had to quarantine, and then you could only train for, I guess, a couple days before going to Abu Dhabi. You get to Abu Dhabi, and then I, I understand you had some issues with your cornermen as well.
3: Yeah, so I got out of my quarantine uh, like Sunday night. So Monday morning, I'm about to head to the gym, and I get the call for that fight. So I had three days in the gym, tell me I got to fly out Thursday. So I trained really hard for three days, like uh, puking, just trying to morph my body back into shape, just straight up abusing myself at that point. Uh, Then when we get there, everything's okay, but then on, on fight day, one of my corners. Uh, gets a coronavirus test back as positive. They said the chances of this have to be almost impossible because everybody there has already been tested multiple times, so it's kind of inconceivable that he could get it, so it's probably a false positive. But then they had to retest, but my corner men were sharing a room, so they both had to get retested multiple times that day and and, uh, they weren't cleared to go out. So uh, my fight was kind of up in the air at that point until an hour or two before we had to go down to like get my hands wrapped so that was annoying but I mean I just kept it in my head that you know yeah the fight's gonna happen we're we're gonna fight this is clearly a false positive so hopefully they they just get the test results back right away that was the story on that
0: so your your cornermen were uh, at Teddy Ash and I think KB Buller are your two yeah yeah so they were down there which one of them got this the I guess the false uh, positive
3: uh, Teddy, but they both had to get retested because they're they were staying in the same room. So as far as they're concerned, then they they both are a liability until they both they had to both test negative twice before they were cleared after the false positive.
0: And uh, when that happens, how long does it take for them to get to you before your fight? Like how how soon uh, were you about to go out there before they were able to come and help you
3: wrap your hands, etc.? Well, I, I was still in the hotel room, so. We had to go – the way it was set up, we had to go downstairs in the hotel. We had an area. We'd get our hands wrapped there. We could start warming up if you want, but you had enough time at the venue. So get your hands wrapped, and then they drive you to the venue. There was limited space there to warm up. So after fights, then they would um, bring in a couple more teams to warm up at at the venue rooms. So before we went downstairs for the hand wrap, I I think it was like an hour and a half before that when – uh, they said, okay, yeah, the second tests are back, like, they're good, like, you guys are you guys are good, so.
0: So how much self-talk is involved in not totally freaking out at that point in time? It's the day of the fight. <laughs> you've had such a long journey to get there, uh, and, and there's a bit of uncertainty. Obviously, I think in your head, like you said, you've kind of talked yourself into the fact that it's going to happen anyways, but how much self-talk was involved?
3: Uh, well, I'm, all I, it's out of my hands. There's nothing I can do about it, so there's no sense getting really worried or really upset or really anything, I can't change anything. So I just got to stay in my room and just in my head, you just got to keep your mentality strong. You're like, no, this is, it's going to be fine. Um, we're we're going to fight. Fights on, don't even think about it. Fights going to go through. But
0: in the back of your head, you know that there's a little bit of uncertainty, but that said, like you said, you've got you've to have tunnel vision about Pessoa and not get yeah, distracted. You shut
3: it, shut it down, shut it down right away.
0: And uh, while you were there, you lost a pair of shorts. You kind of told the story in the uh, the post fight press conference that the uh, the people from the hotel brought you some beers as an apology for uh, for losing your shorts. What what kind of beers were they? I was curious. I think they were Stellas. And then you got to have a, yeah. a bit of a celebratory party when you got back to the hotel.
3: Well, we had those Stellas, and we got a few, uh, we got a bunch more beer ordered to the room. So, yeah, we watched the uh, we watched the undercard on TV downstairs in one of the warm-up rooms. Uh, And then we didn't get to watch the main card because there was actually no way to watch it there. So, uh, no, they let us downstairs to watch the final fights on the main card, actually. Just not the whole thing. We had to wait until um, everybody was back uh, at the venue to get ready for fights, and they were no longer in, like, the room where you got your hands wrapped and stuff. So, yeah, we actually were down there. um, We got in shit for having beers down there, so we had to chug those beers and save the rest for later. But we did end up watching the last few fights yeah. And uh, you got a bonus
0: for this last one. And from what I understand, it was also the first fight of a brand new contract that you signed with the UFC. So these last two fights, is that the most money you've made in your entire life combined? Like if you were to take all the other money you've made prior to that in June and July, is your income more than you've had prior uh, in any capacity?
3: Well, not combined. Like I worked a decent job for several years in Bonneville, so it's not like this is the most, this'll be the most money I'll have had at one time, for sure, yeah. But it's not more money than I've ever made combined, but it's it's a great, great couple paydays for me nonetheless.
0: I should specify, from fighting, <laughs> is, is it more than you've made from all your previous fights?
3: It's... Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think it probably is. It's probably more than all the other... Fights combined, if not, you know what? I'm actually, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah.
0: So when do you when does the when do those checks clear? Do, when do you get to look at your bank account and look on your phone or whatever your computer and say, wow, this is kind of cool?
3: Should be in the next uh, day or two, but I can't look at it like that and be like, oh, it's cool yet. I got to pay taxes on it. I got to pay my manager, etc. So. Um, I don't get to look at it and think it's awesome until I've paid off everybody I have to pay off and then see what I have to work with after. You're a very pragmatic guy.
0: I get that sense from talking to you and from reading about you. Um, what do you plan on doing in terms, of, uh, in terms of saving the money, in terms of what you're going to do next in your career and, and all of that?
3: Uh, in terms of saving the money, well, first, I'm going to pay off my truck and pay off my last year's taxes is the first things I got to do. And then saving the money, I don't really spend much money on stuff. I, I buy food like on the weekend. I like to eat out a few times and stuff, but uh, I don't I don't buy things very often. So besides food, like I said, I spend a lot of money on gas driving around. I drive a truck around and make mad kilometers training all the time, but I don't I don't buy a bunch of um, expensive stuff I don't need. So I would like to save up money and and be able to buy a house at some point. That's what I'd like. So even if I have to stay in my apartment for a little while longer, that's okay if I'm working in that direction.
0: And uh, now you're a full-time fighter, correct? You you don't have any other jobs?
3: Y- yeah, that's correct.
0: And how much of a relief is that for you that you get to put all of your energy into this one thing?
3: I, I liked my job at Diamonds that I worked for like six years. It didn't interfere in my opinion. I, I think it's better for me that I don't work uh, at these things in terms of MMA, because I don't, I won't eat late at night. Sometimes you get off shift at like three 30 in the morning and you're just starving. You're not really, it's hard to not eat something like calorie dense before bed, you know? So I probably get in better shape with a more regular sleep schedule and, uh, without having the need to eat at stupid hours, but it's not a relief in the sense of like, Oh, thank God I, I had to, I had to work these awful jobs no i I really didn't mind the the last couple of places I worked I loved uh, the guy I worked for and stuff uh good guy I wasn't a fan of the bars, so I'm happy I don't have to go work in those bars. The music alone was enough to make me want to put a bullet between my ears so yeah that's uh it, i guess I guess it is definitely nice if nothing else, it's kind of a sign that uh i'm at least I'm doing better than before doing well you know I don't have to work a job that, um, like these ones, that I didn't really want to. Well,
0: I'm going to put two and two together here. You work at a place called Diamonds that closed at 3.30 a.m. Was this a gentleman's club?
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It burned down uh, last August. So um, since then, I, I haven't had a had a job there, obviously. I worked at a couple other clubs shortly after from, I think, September I started in them, and I worked in them until until the coronavirus pandemic and the bars closed and they've reopened. But I've since, have just said, uh, no thanks. I don't really want to come back. So I did work though. like I said, I, I like the guy I worked for and, and, uh, they were good to me and stuff, but I, I didn't, I don't enjoy those clubs at all. So I'm, I'm glad I don't have to go back to those, but for the majority of it, the six years I worked at diamonds, I worked with my buddies. I worked for good people and, uh, I honestly had a blast. So I'm, Not, it was never this horrible. uh, Sorry, I incoming call there. No worries. Uh, Yeah, it was never this this horrible uh, grind where I was like, oh man, I got to go to work again. Like the way I explained it, there's things I'd rather do sometimes than go to work, but it was never like the act of going to work that sucked. So uh, it was a good job.
0: Do you have any interesting stories from said job? A lot. <laughs> and are you willing to share? any? Perhaps the most outrageous one you could share with us? No?
3: Absolutely not. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, never hurts to ask. Uh, when you say you didn't like the music that they played there, what kind of music do you listen to in your spare time?
3: I like, I like folk music. And I realize that's not what they play at bars unless you work at a country bar and stuff like that. But, you know, at Diamonds there was a mix of musics. There was all kinds of different stuff. Of course, they played some shitty music there, but... Not always, but at these other clubs, like just a dance club, club where people go to just dance. The music is just awful. Just the, just the new club music. I can't stand it. So,
0: Well, as Might somebody not. who likes folk music, I imagine that kind of music is probably not all that attractive to you. What, what kind of folk music <laughs> like, do you listen to? I wouldn't have taken you. I would have guessed metal with the beard and the wolf picture in the background, but what kind of folk music are you into? Uh,
3: I, I like... Um, Right now I'm really into Coulter Wall, I like uh, The Tallest Man on Earth and Passenger, stuff like that.
0: Coulter Wall is awesome. He's uh, one of the prides of Canada and he's got a new album coming out soon.
3: Yeah, I'm stoked. I walked out to uh, Motorcycle here this last fight. Yeah, he's a,
0: he's a very talented musician. Um, we've also got Orville Peck, we've got a lot of good uh, Canadian mu- musicians coming up in the country and folk scene.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You, you like folk too, eh?
0: I like, it. I like just about everything, but uh, except for the music that you oh, were yeah. mentioning that, that they play at the dance clubs. I'll probably pass on that. Uh, so, so now that you have uh, these two fights uh, behind you, and it seems like you've made a really big name for yourself. You know, you've got a lot of, um, I guess, momentum is the right word to use. Is there anybody you have your eye on in the heavyweight division? Any, any, uh, you know, are you looking to fight a ranked opponent next, or are you just going to take what, what, what comes to you? Well, you know,
3: I called out Maurice Green. So. Uh, a couple times called him out twice so yeah uh he's got it coming but if not him it really doesn't matter i if they want to give me a rank guy great if they want to give me maurice green great if they i'm i'm just going to accept whatever fight they want me to take honestly so uh i've tried to call my shots if that comes to fruition great and if not oh well fight whoever
0: you know, a lot of people will say that, but then they won't uh, take difficult fights. But you fought Cyril Gane, a guy who I think is going to be in the heavyweight title mix in the future, um, as I think your second fight in the UFC, a very difficult opponent. You actually made a very good account for yourself, went, went the distance. I'm sure you would have preferred to win that fight, but he, he's obviously a very difficult opponent. Was there any thought uh, put into, uh, you know, taking that particular fight, knowing how talented Gane is? He's very well known in Canada as well from his days in TKO.
3: They offered the gone fight that's what it was i said i wanted to fight they said okay fight cyril gone so that's it then i fight cyril gone that's the entire decision making process right there um i know gone is good but i thought i could beat him and i still think if i got everything you know rolling and and uh working perfectly that night i could beat cyril gone but i didn't beat cyril gone he's really really good and Maybe he beats me more times out of 10 than I beat him. That's fine. I, I I fought him and I figured that out. But you don't know that until you fight a guy. So yeah, I I will. I'll take any fight that they offer me. So I'm good for that, you know.
0: And Edmonton uh, has a really strong up-and-coming uh, MMA presence. Your gym in, in particular is, is kind of the, the home for MMA in Edmonton. Tell me about some other guys you train with and who we th- you think we'll see in the uh, in the UFC one day. I know Teddy was on Contender Series last year, fell short, but still a prospect to watch in Canada.
3: Yeah, Teddy for sure. The guy's great. He didn't win that fight in Contender Series, but Teddy can't be far away from getting a call uh, for, for the big show. He's probably just got to get another win under his belt, but... The coronavirus has put a Knicks on a couple fights he had lined up. k b buller's fighting in the contender series this fall, so you're gonna see big things from him. he's um wicked fighter uh, other guys from the gym uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Graham Park end up on a contender series or something like that in the future and uh Christian Larson, one of my main training partners, big heavyweight uh, Spencer Jeb is fighting well been fighting in m one i don't we don't know the when m one's gonna start having shows again, but Jeb is always uh a dangerous dude at 170 so we we definitely have um, a lot of guys that are right on that well they're at that level they should be on the cusp of getting called at any time i would think
0: well as a fellow canadian i'd like to thank you for introducing the word chiclet into the uh the ufc uh dialogue I, I think that that's a word that really uh made you stand out among canadians uh, that that particular night oh that's good yeah <laughs> i I've heard the term "spit and chicklets my whole life, so. And uh, with, uh, with the beer that you open with your teeth, what's the method for doing that? You just kind of put it in the gap and, and pull and twist?
3: No, no, I, I use the one tooth to just go underneath the tab and then pull it back and push it with the front of the tooth.
0: Okay, I, I was picturing you biting right through the aluminum, so I'm, I I got that wrong. That, <laughs> that is a tougher thing to do, I guess.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I haven't done that. I'll try that, though. I'll try that as soon as I'm out of quarantine and I go mix a few beers in here. Does it work with beer bottles also? Only when I'm super drunk.
0: <laughs>
3: Otherwise, you'll have a bigger gap if you,
0: if you, if you push it. Otherwise,
3: it hurts really bad, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, and uh, I look forward to more success from you in the future, uh, Tanner. Uh, thanks for this. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and best of luck with everything.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate the time.